0: Welcome back to Inside the Hive. I'm Emily Jane Fox. I'm so happy to be here with Joe. Hey, yeah, hey, Joe. Hey,
1: it's so fantastic to have you back on the podcast. What a treat. You are a source of light in a world uh, of my personal darkness. So thank you for coming.
0: Well, I will say that that uh, you and I were talking about about the darkness, and I said, "Hang on, wait a minute, let's press record because we are wasting." all of that precious darkness on just the two of us. And we don't deserve that. Mm -hmm. So what my dear is bothering you this week? What is weighing heavy on your heart?
1: Oh my God, where to begin, where to begin? Well, you know, on the micro uh, level, I'm on deadline for a Vanity Fair magazine article, which is always a point of um, psychic turmoil and stress until it's done. Sure. And then you get to read the final result that has been polished by our fantastically talented editors. But I have just been watching the news about, you know, our government and the things that are going on in our government and then thinking a lot about climate change. Mm. You know, I I read uh, just today the latest thing that comes over the transom is that the uh, our own intelligence agencies are put out a report that um, because of climate change, we can uh, look forward to increased strife between countries and uh, mass migrations and all the things, the nightmare scenarios uh, are basically, you know, we're being warned about. Mm. And this is, everybody who's listening to this podcast uh, knows about what's going on on the horizon. If you paid any attention to the science and to, you know, carbon emissions and the you know percentages of of the warming earth and the percentages of 2%. If we hit that 2%, we're screwed and we're kind of barreling towards it. And meanwhile, our government and the people that might be able to do something about it uh, are all kind of uh, in a deadlock around this senator who comes from the coal-producing state of West Virginia. And I'm, of course, talking about Joe Manchin.
0: Isn't that convenient?
1: It's just it makes you want to throw up because you're thinking, what? Well, we already didn't have a great chance of getting anything done. Even if we enacted all the climate change uh, policies that we want to get in, could we? Could would it do anything? Could we actually, you know, put the brakes on? And then as a result of Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema holding out for their short-term, myopic agendas that have to do with money and whatever. Joe Manchin saying he doesn't agree with the entitlement uh, society, that he thinks Joe Biden is, um, you know, trying to put into place through this uh, Build Back Better package. But putting that aside, while that's all this is happening, Joe Biden's polling numbers are crashing. Mm. Right, down below fifty percent. People are looking at the economy. They can't go online and order things they'd like because nothing's coming in uh, to the ports anymore. And so suddenly we're all backed up. The economy's tanking, and just when all of this is happening, here comes Donald Trump with it his new to, social media app. Right, it
0: goes to Christmas past. Yes.
1: Oh, my God. So Trump Media and Technology Group and his Truth Social app, which is just like hilarious right on the surface, because, you know, it's like a lie app, basically. Mm. And he's getting piles of attention for this thing. And he's obviously coming onto the stage right at a moment when everything that is even slightly hopeful uh, happening in our government is like uh, been, you know, slowly being extinguished by the senator from West Virginia. I apologize for this like uh, screed, but you know we're fiddling while Rome burns, while the earth burns, and it is just—it's enough to drive you insane.
0: Well, I don't want you to be driven insane, but I think all of the things you're talking about are are maddening and concerning, and I want to pick them each apart. But I'm gonna let's start with um, the the trucking and the delivery of goods and. I hadn't thought about this until you just said it, but in my very early days of reporting, I covered retail for CNN and holiday season, basically from August until Christmas was my busiest season as a reporter because you start to cover all things like uh, supply shortages and consumer confidence and, and all sorts of tiny little data points that throughout the rest of the year don't totally matter to the general public, but come Christmas, which is you know the biggest season for any retail store, all those tiny little data points start to matter and they determine basically the rest of the year for a gigantic sector our, of our economy. And I am worried what the fallout could be for the rest of the year economically if things during this holiday season are backed up, delayed, screwed up in any way, shape, or form. I know it sounds silly to, to talk about. Uh, no. Will your will your grandchild's Christmas present be there on time on Christmas morning as a barometer for how things could shake out in the midterm elections? But I think that is a barometer for how things could shake out in, in the midterm elections.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, listen, the average person is going on the internet to buy some product that they want, and they're used to the convenience of having it arrive three days from now. And then they click on there and it says, this isn't going to arrive for three months. Right. And so they're slowly becoming more aggravated <laughs> and they're saying, what in the hell is going on? I can't, uh, you know, get little Johnny, his um, remote control robot. So I'm going to, that's like a, that sounds like a 1950s toy. Um, but you know what I mean? So totally, uh, it, there's a direct connection. It's absolutely connected. And
0: all things are local, right? And I think that particularly in in midterm elections, the people who are going to come out and vote are voting on issues that they can touch and feel and that impact them. And often those are economic issues. Uh, there's nothing more that you can touch and feel than a Christmas toy. And yes. I think, uh, you know, obviously what we're talking about in terms of climate change is so mega – macro important and will be the it's very hard to care about anything else when you actually step back and look at that issue. But most people aren't stepping back and looking at that issue. But the things that they could touch and feel are the things that are potentially going to drive them to the ballot box next November. And thinking about this is a scary proposition when when it when it comes to Democrats. And and I think if one senator in a state can completely hold up President Biden's, you know, a, a huge center point of his agenda that I think uh, I thought was was a pretty non-controversial thing. You know, save the planet. Um, mm-hmm. Then what can happen if if a margin is even slimmer in the, in the House or the Senate? Did you hear? Do you hear I a little did. guest star in the background?
1: And and, and, and everything that she is expressing, I relate to.
0: She is teething and on her own journey. But she's very upset about what's happening in Washington. At the same time, she's she contains multitudes.
1: Yes, well, she has a right to be upset, and it's uh, you know, it's the world she'll be inheriting. So she's probably the most upset. <laughs>
0: Don't you feel um, so guilty? I feel such guilt about bringing a child into this world as it is.
1: Well, I yes, and I think about it all the time. And you and I and everybody listening to this podcast, we all uh, get up in the morning and we face our day, we have all of our short-term, you know, personal um, kind of things we have to get done, items on our agenda, we have a job, we have, a you know, places to go, people to see, and we have to get motivated for that, we have to feel like there's a purpose to it, right? And then here comes all of this sort of uh, 24-7 pounding, you know, news flow that's all just incredibly negative. And, makes, and it sort of tears away at your sense of uh, hope, right? Your sense of, like, we're going somewhere for a reason. And especially with when you have kids, and but just even if you don't, and you're just thinking about the future of the humanity and the human race that you're a part of and that you love, thinking, well, we're hoping that this is going somewhere good, and we hope to be contributing to that. Now, we're talking about, a moment ago, about, you know, shopping. And... You know, part of the collision course that we're seeing is the end of the the earth responding to our uh, yes. production of carbon emissions and our capitalistic society that seems to be just driving it in the wrong direction, right? Driving all of us in the wrong direction. And, uh, you know, I think back on people who 20 years ago I might have thought as having radical views, you know, about uh, radical environmentalists, mm-hmm. radicals who uh, say, no, we've got to stop this, you know, we've got to stop this kind of crazy capitalist juggernaut because it's exactly driving us to do the wrong thing, right? It's it's enabling um, the kind of crisis uh, of the climate. Um, and now flash forward, I'm like, no, they were right. (laughs) We should have been listening. People have been sounding alarms, and it was easy not to listen, right? It was easy not to think about it. And I will say that after my recent visit to California, um, I felt it more palpably in California, I must say. It, it, It came home to me in a way that it doesn't always.
0: Promo code POD15 for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. Well, when your home is literally on fire or you smell the smoke in the air, it's kind of hard to turn a blind eye to it. And I think you feel it a little bit on the East Coast when you get mega storms or... Sure. It's 60 degrees in December, and you remember when that exact day your entire life, it was snowing. Um, you, you, you feel it a little bit, but uh, you definitely can't really escape the feeling that the earth is on fire when you live in California. You know, it's so it, there's such a tension, and, and all the reports that you read, basically, about how dire the situation is, they, there's a big but in there, and the but is, but if we act right now... You know, there's hope, that's and I don't right. know if they're if they're just saying that because they don't want us all to, you know, find the nearest tall building, or mm-hmm, uh, exactly. if that's actually true. But you you try and make conscious changes in your life, and then there's some things you can't escape. Like, I really try to not buy new clothes. I shop a lot of vintage clothes if I'm going yeah. to, to shop for clothes, and I know that's such a small thing, but but I think it does oh. make a difference. And I think that if you're if you're trying to avoid you know, buying all new products or stopping the cycle and you can uh, do little things like that. I think it makes a difference. And then you have a child and the number of times I have to order something on Amazon a day is like staggering. Right now. And it, it truly like, if I, if I look at the number of packages that I have to order just to have, you know, baby Q-tips because I'm out of baby Q-tips, it's like, it's, it just would blow your mind. And, and the packaging is so wasteful. It is so wasteful. I really wish that the the companies who are doing such an incredible job getting items to people quickly, that they would stop and think for a second that you do not need to pack a giant box with 14 rolls of bubble paper. There has to be a better way to do this. And uh, I know these things are small Uh, in the scheme of things, but they break my heart every time. And I really need to figure out a better way to to get baby Q-tips that feel better for the planet.
1: Well, one of the frustrations is that you can find alternatives to all the things that you order off Amazon. You can get the more organic things, you know, whether it's food or diapers, but it's all more expensive and it creates a kind of, it just adds to the kind of like tiered society we're already living in, in which the working class people or people living in uh, below the poverty line or right at the poverty line, they don't have that choice. Yeah. Right. It's not feasible. And so we need to find ways to kind of change the way we do things across the board. And in some ways, the policies and the things that uh, were being proposed in the climate change you know, inside the inside the Build Back Better infrastructure bills, we're trying to do something like that, right? And of course, they were partly starting with the fossil fuel industry and putting regulations and limits on them. And of course, how do they respond to that? They go to the Joe Mansions of the world and the Kirsten Cinemas of the world, whether if it's a pharmaceutical company, and they lean on them. They know that they're the bottleneck to hurting their profits, right? There's a show on TV right now, Dope Sick, about, you know, based on the book that was about the Sackler family and about how they promoted yes. and made piles of money off of a product that helped destroy our society. And so, you know, this is the battle uh, that we're waging on a daily basis. And often, and the reason this takes us back to the top of, of this podcast, and I hate to be such a uh, fuming individual today, but you often feel helpless in all of this right? Mm. And um, my uh, wife is reading a book, which the author would be an interesting person to bring on to this uh, program up the road. The book is called Believers. And uh, the subtitle of it is Making a Life at the End of the World. Mm. And it is about, uh, she's a journalist and an essayist, and she goes out, and her name is Lisa Wells. She goes out and talks to Uh, All kinds of different groups who have basically decided that they're going to unplug from the mainframe and try to figure out how to have some sustainable, you know, world in which we all survive. And some of them are environmental radicals, but not all. And it's kind of like she interviews them and doesn't, you know, judge them. And she kind of gets into interesting conversations with them, including like environmentalist Christians and like, you know people on the on the fringes. But like I said, 20 years ago, we thought a lot of these people were on the fringes and we didn't listen. And it might be an interesting exercise to pick up some ideas and, you know, practices from people who are holding out hope, who have found actions that they can do to try to uh, have us, you know, sustain and not and have a world for their children. So that's all I have to say about that.
0: Yeah, I think uh, it, is, it is so spot on and it just adds a layer to, of, of heaviness to everything. Um, as we talk about doom and, and circle back to all things being local, I don't know if you read the story in the New York Times this week about uh, school boards. Did you, did you happen to see the school boards mm-hmm. in Wisconsin?
1: No, inform me.
0: So we've all been following the coverage of what is happening with school board election recalls and, and critical race theory and how that's another issue that will come to light and, and could potentially shift things in the election and the midterms. But there's a, a story this week about uh, a local school board in Wisconsin and, and critical race theory and how parents are up in arms about a curriculum that does not exist in the Wisconsin school system. And yet parents are using it as a way to potentially recall a school board election there and and what that could foretell for Democrats across the country in uh, 22, particularly in a state that uh, is so critical to Democrats and to Biden. And it just struck me because, you know, we talk so much about, about Facebook and about Fox news and how they, totally skew the the conversation and how the messaging there and the misinformation that gets spread in, in both those places is so dangerous and, and can really have real-world consequences. I, I think what's striking me there is that Republicans are using this made-up issue of critical race theory really effectively and you know, some of it is happening on Facebook. Some of it is happening on Fox News. These are drumbeats that we see time and time again against, uh, across both of those platforms. But Republicans are sort of doing what they do best in these local towns, and they're hammering in a message very, very effectively. And what that's going to do is it's going to have an impact on the most local of races, and that's going to trickle up because it fires people up. Not that people are not... There's nothing that parents are more fired up about than what their children are being taught in school, right? Particularly if what they they are being taught, they think is villainizing themselves to their children. So the there's a, a very strong rallying cry in these places, and that will increase turnout, and that will in turn increase the likelihood that a Republican will win a local race, a mm-hmm. statewide race, a national race, and... What I, I mean, obviously this is has huge consequences for the makeup of Congress, but what it just highlights to me is that the Republicans are so good at what they do and the Democrats are just terrible at what they do. There's no messaging. There's not. not that I want Democrats to stoop to this level, but... It is just uh, there's such a dearth in an ability to actually organize around a central pre- premise. And we see that playing out in Washington around climate change, that they, they, well, they can't even agree on something that is so fundamentally black and white.
1: Well, that was a question I had last week for Matthew Dowd. Right. Who, uh, uh, I asked him. He's running for lieutenant governor in Texas. And I asked, you know, if if Joe Biden is failing on the national level by the time we get to the midterms next year, how can you message on the local level and have it be effective? Right. Yeah. But he he said exactly that, you know, that's what he's going to, you know, have to do. He has he has to speak to Texans and be seen as a guy who speaks their language and 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 i didn't ask him this but this is a question i i would have for him if i had a follow up is that you know we're talking about a culture war right that's yes. what ultimately you're talking about with this thing in Wisconsin and the culture war is wagging all the other dogs right whether it's climate change or name your policy thing that is happening you know at the at the federal level all they have to do is talk about race or abortion or, you know, name your hot button thing at down uh, at the sort of at the local level, at the state level, you can attach anything you want to that, which is what the Republicans have always done. They've always taken these hot button culture issues and then they somehow attached big business to it and made it seem like they were allies of these people. Right. Yeah. Which was the biggest grift of the last 50 years, starting with Reagan. And that's where Democrats are constantly failing to understand how to Defuse that, right? How do we defuse? And this is also why you ha- have this big argument over the last month or so. There was this, you know, data analyst David Shore. Maybe you've read about it in the New York yeah. Times. You know, he's saying, "Oh, Democrats need to figure out how to talk to these people in the middle." Yes. You know, they need to figure out they can't let things. And so it's like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. And the reason you're stuck there, or the Democrats are stuck there, is because they are a big coalition, right? They're a wider tent party and they have a hard time kind of corralling everybody under a single message, right? You know, the, the progressive left is uh, has a very strong activist voice and it makes it easy for Republicans to demonize them and use that as part of the culture war fuel, right? Mm. Um, so round and round we go.
0: It just feels like... Um... This is a tale as old as time, and the Republicans have been driving these culture war wedges for as long as I've been alive. Uh, and and I would think at some point the Democrats would be able to step up and say, "Okay, we get the playbook. Like it's not a complicated playbook. It it has existed the same way for decades, and yet there's no ability to rally around." Uh, a right. central issue and, and, and do that. And, and what you're saying makes total sense. Speaking of the playbook and it being around for many, many years, can we segue into something that I've been watching?
1: Oh, please. Yes.
0: Okay. Esca- so,
1: escapism is like the only, uh, is my only friend right
0: now. Oh, okay. Well then I have, a I have a bunch of things for you, but, uh, have you been <laughs> watching the impeachment show?
1: No, Ryan Murphy's I've impeachment? read about it.
0: So it didn't get great reviews, um, and we waited to watch it. We started the pilot, couldn't quite get into it, and then I said, maybe this is the kind of thing you want to binge. And we waited to do that, and we bin- binged, we did, and we love it. We're, we're mm. very, very much enjoying it. Sarah Paulson, as usual, is incredible, and uh, I highly recommend. It is very entertaining. We're super into it. It's possible... That we're just starved for new prestige television, but uh, yes. we we have been really enjoying going through it. or We enjoyed going through it. Uh, we we finished it very quickly. Uh, there's still some more episodes, I believe, but uh, what's out there, we finished very quickly, and I highly recommend it. Did you watch the new Succession?
1: I haven't, and here comes a public confession that mm. is is going to get Uh-oh. me um, thrown out of polite I'm society, scared. which. Yeah, I haven't even, I think I've watched three episodes of it in total, and so I have a lot of catching up to do.
0: Wait, are you okay? Why, what is wrong with you? Yeah,
1: I know. I will say this, that I have found another show that I am very into, and um, if, if people out there liked White Lotus, yeah, Nine Perfect Strangers, oh, amazing TV show. Um, I read the
0: book. Oh. I have not watched the show. How's the book? It's okay. It's just okay. Um, I haven't been rushing to watch the show be- after I read the book. I see. Well,
1: it's it's very much in the, you know, big little lies zone. And, uh, of course, Nicole Kidman's in there again. And, sure. And um, it, it's very strange, but you know the plot of it, which uh, I don't think it'll be giving away too much. No. Uh, spoiler alerting, but um, it's about a spa, kind of a, that has a culty kind of vibe that uh, deals with psychedelic mushrooms and a bunch of, um, you know, different odds and ends from uh, the kind of uh, characters you might recognize from the White Lotus type, wealthy, upwardly mobile people with lots of screwed up problems and uh, suddenly arriving and having to mix it up. Um, But tell me uh, just in a nutshell, and maybe you can comment a little bit about Succession, because I know people are interested in it.
0: I I couldn't possibly do it justice. All I will say is that we rewatched from the beginning uh, when the baby was born, and uh, when we had when she actually slept, and we had we were fooled into thinking that having baby was easy because she slept eighteen hours a day, and it is just a a complete and total delight, and it's funny, it's sharp. Go watch it from the beginning. The first season's a little slow, and once you're into it, it's like. It's a real mm. ride. I couldn't, I couldn't like it anymore. And then the the show premiered on Sunday night, the third season, and the first episode was just total candy. So I, yeah, I yeah. highly recommend it. Uh, I also will tell you that I read my first book post baby, and I read it's a book called Capote's Women, which we excerpted oh, yeah. in Vanity Fair, and I loved it. I just finished. I had to take a long drive yesterday, um, for a work thing and I finished it on the ride home and I absolutely loved it. I thought it is such a, you know, you know, all these characters, you know, the Babe Paley's, you know, the Slim Keith's, you know, uh, the, the, all the characters that, uh, CZ guest, um, you've seen photos of them. You've, you've read books about Lee Rodswell, but seeing them all together and then sort of understanding Capote's big betrayal of them in that he wrote uh, a few chapters about them and that was published in Esquire magazine. It was really, uh, I really, really enjoyed it. It's a, it's such a cool world. And the book goes really, really in depth about all these women and their relationships with their husbands and their friends and with Truman. And if you like uh, historical Romps. Well, I recommend this one.
1: It's, uh, he is a um, minor character in my own book, Sticky Fingers. Yes. So, uh, and a lot of these people are because right. Jan Wenner uh, sort of um, traveled in these social circles and uh, he ended up more with uh, Jackie than yes. Lee. Uh, but, um, but Capote was always sort of uh, part of his, you know, because he overlapped with uh, Mick Jagger and you know, some of the other literary folk in in the the cafe society, as they say, uh, from New York in the 70s, which is a very delicious time to read about.
0: Totally. Um,
1: In fact, um, thinking about that, you know, escapism of, you know, 101 for our time is often uh, the 60s and 70s, right? Mm -hmm. People look back, it's like, it must have been sort of the, um, even though it was a time of turmoil then, and probably the birth of a lot of our problems today. We look back on it almost as like a... um, I guess things get more gold-hued as they get further into the rearview mirror, but um, back then they just had their almost like uh, social dramas that are, you know, tea room dramas compared to what we're dealing with today. And I refer, of course, to the uh, dark uh, apocalyptic scenario I painted at the top of this podcast. But um, I have not been able to read anything uh, because my brain has been basically turned to oatmeal from looking at um, too much news. So I can learn from you and maybe I'm going to go out and read Capote's Women right away.
0: Uh, Speaking of women, my own little woman is waking up and rousing. So uh, this is, this is the end of the road for us, but I will tell you before we go, (laughs) Uh, we have a very exciting interview next week. That's very different for us. And I'm excited to talk to this person and to, to bring her on here. And, uh, I think it will be a really fun treat and I'm excited for you to hear it. I'm excited for our listeners to hear it. So stay tuned. We'll, we'll, we'll do something fun next week.
1: That's very tantalizing. And I can say with, um, Absolute candor that I have no idea who it is. That's true. I
0: I will tell you before it happens, but uh, it's fun. (laughs) It's a fun one.
1: I can't wait. I'll be listening attentively, and I hope everybody out there will too. And Emily Jane Fox, thank you for talking. You actually took me out of uh, my—just letting me talk, letting me gas on the way you did helped me— come out a little bit out of the darkness
0: well i hope this brings darkness to everyone uh, darkness i hope this brings light (laughs) from the darkness to everybody who's listening and more of that to come
1: that's our podcast this week thanks to emily jane fox for being there for me and thanks to our producer brett fuchs and the people at cadence 13 for helping make this podcast happen Please subscribe and come back next week and hear that great interview that Emily Jane Fox mentioned. Please support our sponsors the way they support this podcast. And we'll see you next week.